The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. Matthew chapter 6, hopefully you've navigated there. Verse 19, we read these words from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. Your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. We are picking up in the middle of what is called the Sermon on the Mount. It is this great teaching from Jesus Christ Himself about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. He's describing what the kingdom of heaven is like, more specifically even, what the followers, the citizens of the kingdom of heaven are like, in comparison to the kingdom of this world. What those that are truly going to be the disciples of Jesus will be like, compared with, contrasted with, the natural way that we are, living in a sinful, fallen, broken world. And I have reminded you often and remind you again this morning as we read really all the Scriptures, but especially the Sermon on the Mount, do not look to it as a roadmap to the kingdom of heaven, as if you follow these things and you're going to get there, you're going to make it of your own works, of your own righteousness. What this does first and foremost is really reveals to us we all fall short of what we need to be. That none of us are righteous, no, not one. That all we like sheep have gone astray, everyone turned to his own way. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. More than a road map, first of all, it's a litmus test, a heart cast, so to speak, that shows our hearts aren't what they ought to be. None of us are going to get there because of who we are and what we do. First of all, we need where Jesus is going to eventually get to. In the Gospel of Matthew, he gets to a cross where he gives his life a ransom for sinners. You first have to come to him and be forgiven, be cleansed. Be given the Holy Spirit, be given a new heart, a new life in Christ. And only then, and definitely then, do you start living a life in obedience to the commands of God. Only then can we really be what God desires of us, commands of us to be. It comes by the grace of God given to us in salvation. And so if you're lost, don't look to this as a means of earning salvation. Uh, You need Christ. You need what He does for you at the cross. You need His atoning blood that was shed for the remission of your sins. You need to repent and believe upon Him this morning. But for all of us in here who are saved, who've been forgiven, redeemed, saved, we're a child of God, uh, the Holy Spirit in us ought to be producing this sort of fruit in our lives. These words that we just read were originally delivered to a crowd of maybe a couple hundred people that had gathered around to hear Jesus and realized the people to whom these words were written They did not have Amazon next-day delivery. They did not have a Walmart down the road a little bit that's got anything and everything you could ever want or need there to purchase. He's writing to a group of people that didn't have iPhones and AirPods and, and 
fancy cars and, and nice houses to go home to. He's writing to a group of people that if they had more than two pairs of clothes, they were considered rich. And yet he has to warn them drastically about the, the sinful desire for riches, the sinful desire for materialistic things, for stuff that so often consumes our life. One thing I learned on a mission trip to Costa Rica, dealing with a poorer segment even of the the people of Costa Rica, is it doesn't take having a lot of stuff to desire a lot of stuff. Uh, Even when you don't have a lot of stuff, you still can have a love of money. You can still have a love for things. And and even the mentality there is, and they're right, as we'll talk about in a moment, all Americans are rich and there's this great desire in everybody's heart to, to get the riches that they think, in one way, rightly, all Americans enjoy. It doesn't take having a lot to desire a lot. But, but I also would say if, if this was written for them not having much to be tempted by, how much more so are these words needed for you and me this morning, living in the society, the culture, the country in which we live today? We live in an era of human history unlike any other era. Never, never has the average person had access to so much stuff before. You think about it for a moment. We have a, a, an abundance, an extravagant abundance of everything. And just to make my point, if we go back a few years ago when the, when the COVID uh, pandemic was happening and we walked into the grocery stores, and, and I remember being frustrated, and you probably were too when you walk in, and they didn't have your particular brand of green beans that you like, and you had to get the generic. Like We are so abundantly blessed that even when there is a small, slight shortage of one little thing that our particular likings have a, a taste for, we, we get bent out of shape. We, we have such an abundance of stuff. We live in such an era of prosperity that these words of Jesus, this warning of Christ against the love of money, is more so for us even than it was for that original group of people that heard these words from the mouth of the Lord Jesus. The truth is, as we examine life in America, as we examine even our own lives in this room, so many people live life only to get more and more and more stuff. More and more and more things and possessions that money buys. I studying this week, came across this quote from a lady named Ellen Goodman. I have no clue who she is, but this quote very well defines life in America. Normal, what's normal in America for us? Normal is getting dressed in clothes that you buy for work. I've got it on the screen if you want to put it up there. Normal is getting dressed in clothes that you buy for work, driving through traffic in a car that you are still paying for, in order to get a job that you need so you can pay for the clothes and the car and the house that you leave empty all day in order to afford to live in it. (laughs) That's kind of the, the average life of an American pursuing the American dream. So many of you even, that may even define your life as you think about what does my life consist of right now. I work, 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 work to get the money to buy the stuff that I don't really even get to enjoy because all my time is going to getting more, getting more, getting more, and the more I get, the more I have to buy. And and it is this endless cycle. It's a hamster wheel. It's a hamster wheel that the more we get, Reality is we run, we run, we run, and we really don't get anything except a bigger hamster wheel. 
That's all that riches really are. It's a bigger hamster wheel that you're running on. More and more longer, harder paths to walk with the complexity that money can bring. It's a rat race that has destroyed so many lives. The reality is so many of the, maybe even your life in here, but people in our country, the, the pursuit of wealth, the pursuit of riches has caused many to be filled with depression and anxiety. It's been the cause of many ruined marriages, financial argument and, and stress and anxiety. It's been the cause of many parents not speaking with their children anymore. It's been the cause of many siblings actually getting divided, especially when parents uh, die and, and inheritance is getting fought over. It's robbed many believers of lives that actually have purpose, of lives of lives that actually matter eternally. That, that so many believers even get caught in that rat race, get caught running in the hamster wheel. And their lives, when they come to an end and measured in light of eternity, have no value, have no merit, have no worth, no value for the Lord. Jesus said later, recorded in the Gospel of Mark, what does it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? It's really profit if you gain the entire world, but your own soul isn't well taken care of, isn't directed in the way it ought to be directed in your, your living. The Spirit of Christ through Paul and, and the book of 1 Timothy wrote these words, The love of money is the root of all evil. That our pursuit of wealth is it being the most foremost object of our passion and love and, and goal and motivation. That, that love of money is the root of all evil. We must guard our hearts against the temptation of the love of money. In a culture like we live in, in the abundance of stuff that we live in, in the pressure even of the normal expectations of what life is to be like in America, we must let these words of Christ guide us and direct us and instruct us that we can guard our hearts against being what we're not supposed to be as citizens of the kingdom of heaven against living a life as if this life here is all that there is. And we need to get all we can get as if this life is going to last forever. We, we ought to be the ones that know better than that. We're actually called to be the ones that live this life as, this, as if this life is a vapor. appears for a moment and is gone. It's fleeting, just a brief moment in comparison to the city of God, to the eternal kingdom, to heaven. That is to come. So I want to give you three, three instructions this morning from Christ on how, how you are to guard your heart against the love of money. First, notice verses 19 through 21. Invest in heaven more than you invest on earth. Now, for some of you, investing in heaven is a foreign concept altogether. But Jesus, in a way, is speaking as a, as a financial advisor. He's giving financial advice to us here. He, he says in verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He's saying, you want to get in the good stock? You want to get in the stock that has eternal dividends? He says, don't, don't spend all of your energy and effort and money investing in things in the here and now as if the here and now is all that there is, but, but invest more for what is to come. Jesus is the one who spoke all things into existence. 
Jesus is the one who's been there and come here. He's come down from heaven. Jesus is the one who, by whom all things will be reconciled someday on that, that day of his return. He's, he's speaking with an authority. He's speaking with a knowledge to us of, of what is to come. And he's giving us some good advice here. He says, if you're a follower of mine, you're, you're not going to be so, so concentrated on the here and now and building up your wealth in the here and now and investing in treasures in the here and now. Your primary goal, your primary aim, your primary investment will be in what is to come. Now, I jokingly say, and there's part truth in it when I joke, and I'll joke with you this way, when somebody is doing something here at the church that doesn't pay and that really isn't highly respected in the sense of you're not on the platform with everybody's eyes on you and everybody respecting you, and it most there's a whole lot of stuff that gets done around this place that none of you know about and none of you honestly even care about until it doesn't get done. And I'll jokingly, but partly not jokingly, tell a person when they're doing that, you're getting treasures in heaven. You're getting an extra jewel in the crown to throw at the feet of Jesus. And it's kind of a comic way of just letting them know, comical way, I appreciate what you're doing, but there's a truth to it. That even when we don't notice it and we don't praise it and we don't reward it, the eyes of God see every sacrifice that's made, every act of worship that's made from, from every little act of service behind the scenes that receives no credit or, or recognition from anybody, but God sees and God will reward. There is such a thing as treasure in heaven. And Jesus says, that's where our hearts to be. That's where our focus in life is to be. That's what we are to be living for, investing our Life's in. We waste so much of our lives getting stuff and then keeping up with stuff. We get, we get, we get, and then we have to keep up with what we got. And so we get, we get, we get, we keep up, we keep up, we keep up. And those of you who've lived long enough to accumulate a little bit in your life, you realize, I'm realizing it more and more every day, the more you get, the more headaches, the more stuff you've got to, to keep up with. There's a futility to materialism, to the pursuit of wealth. Money never gives to you what it promises. You realize there's a lot that money can't buy? Money cannot buy love and companionship. Money cannot buy good health. Money cannot buy happiness and inner peace. Money cannot buy knowledge and self-discipline. Money cannot buy true friends and family. Money cannot buy a sense of purpose and fulfillment. Money cannot buy gratitude, a heart of gratitude and appreciation. Money cannot buy fulfillment and satisfaction. And money definitely cannot buy a relationship with God, your Creator. That's just a list of a few things in life that money cannot buy. That the rich, when they come to get the wealth that they desire, realize, I've got it, but it's not giving me what I thought it would. Look to the rich in our day and age. Look to the richest of the rich in our country. And often some of those are the most miserable people on planet Earth because they've gotten what they thought would bring them happiness and they've only found it doesn't. Money never really satisfies. Questions always asked, you know, what does it take for you to consider yourself to be rich? And a lot of those studies have shown it's about double what you currently got. And so if you're making 35000 and you ask, man, what's it take for you to feel like you're rich? People say, I need 70000 And then people that say, I have 70000 a year, what will it take for you to be rich? They say 140000 
people that got 140 say they double it. I'm not going to do math here and embarrass myself. 280. And then the people that got 280 say, and it goes all the way up to the millionaire. They've got a million bucks, and he wants two million to think he's rich. Reality is, the richest of the rich are still wanting more. It's never satisfying. Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. I'm sorry, the uh, writing of Solomon. He wrote Song of Solomon as well. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. Solomon, one of the wealthiest men that ever lived. He he examined life and he found this. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. And he says, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his own eyes? He says, with all the abundance just comes more headaches, more people, more management, more oversight. Vanity. He who loves money will never be satisfied with it. Money never satisfies, and you realize money doesn't last. It's a cliche saying, but it's true. You never see a U-Haul being pulled by a hearse. I've seen a number of hearses, and you never see a U-Haul being carried to the cemetery or the internment. You think of the richest people in time past. I kind of like to think about the pharaohs of Egypt and all the wealth and that day and age that they had and the power and their belief that if they took it to the grave and the tomb with them, that somehow it would make it into the uh, afterlife with them. And the reality is, we're digging it up, and where is it? It's still there in the tomb with their dead corpse. You, you can't take it with you when you leave this place. There's a, a fleeting nature, a temporariness to the wealth that we think will be with us forever. Money doesn't last. Jesus tells us that, that we... If we're going to guard our hearts from the love of money, we, we need to focus on, we need to invest in eternal things, things of eternal worth, things of eternal value, where moth and rust don't corrupt, and it doesn't, and thieves don't break in and steal. Notice, secondly, if we're going to guard our hearts from the love of money. Secondly, verses 22 and 23, we must set our focus, our eyes, on eternity more than on the here and now. And this is, of course, flowing from that last point, as Jesus' words are flowing from the point he's made about money, our treasure in heaven. He turns to a, a metaphor of sorts with the eyes being the lamp of the body in verse 22. Let's, let's read it again. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore the eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You can say, man, what is Jesus talking about here? The eye is the lamp of the body. Right? The eye is the means by which the body <laughs> receives the light that's outside to bring it inside. And the knowledge of life it, it occurs because of what we're seeing. One of our primary senses is, is sight. It's, he's using it metaphorically as the, the lamp of the body. And he's drawing a, a, an illustration to the eyes of the heart. The eyes of the heart, meaning the, the gaze of the heart, the, the focus of the heart. He says if the eyes are good, the body is good. If the, the gaze and focus of your heart is right, then your life is going to be right. There's going to be light. There's going to be a right knowledge of God, a right knowledge of, of life and in the way you're living if you just get the eyes of your heart that are focused right. But he says if the eyes of your heart are bad, 
then the whole life is going to be bad. If your eyes are set on earthly things, if your focus is on the pursuit of wealth and materialistic things, your, your whole life is going to be a waste. The whole body is bad. And then he says this little paradoxical statement that if the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? I think he's dealing here with the deception of riches. The deception even of the pursuit of riches that we think that that's light. We think that that's what's going to bring us contentment and value and purpose and meaning in life and so many pursue it thinking that's the grand purpose of it all and Jesus says if that's the light of your life how great is the darkness I think he's pointing to the Pharisees somewhat even as he says that because their their religion had revolved around wealth to a large degree and and the accumulation of things and they were often the wealthiest of their day of their their culture and in in, in our day and age i would compare it even to the prosperity gospel we've got a, a false gospel out there that has come to jesus and get wealth and get health and get prosperity by your faith in God and it focuses not on the eternal glory that is to come but on the reward that they think will come in the here and now in this earth as if we are to be about earthly treasures they get it mixed up and that is their light that is what they're seeking that's what's guiding and directing their lives and they dictate even the level of their faith by the the prosperity in their life in the here and now, and they're getting it totally reversed. We're to set our focus, our eyes of our heart on what is to come, not on the here and now. Jesus says through much tribulation we must enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is glory, not not this, not this broken life in this broken world. Set your eyes on eternity more than on the here. And now, if you took up my challenge last week and you fasted for a day this past week, daylight hours, for me it was Friday, you found that the pangs of hunger drove your heart and mind to the Lord in prayer. I prayed more on Friday than I did Sunday through Thursday or Saturday because Every time my stomach said, you're hungry, you need to eat, I had to say, no, I'm supposed to be focusing on the Lord. Lord, thank you for what you've blessed me with. And Lord, use me for your glory and help me in the leadership of Trinity Baptist Church and help us to be a gospel witness and a gospel light. And, and then my uh, uh, mind, the ADD mind, got distracted and you know had to deal with this or deal with that. But it wasn't very long that hunger came again. And it was back to, Lord... Any of you need focus in your prayer? Try fasting. It'll it'll focus you throughout the day to pray to the Lord. But the reality is the pangs of suffering, not not merely hunger, but even the pangs of suffering in life are meant to, to rip our hearts from believing this life is all that there is and direct our hearts to eternal things. To set the eyes of our hearts off of this in the here and now to get us thinking about what is to come and the, the restoration, the redemption, the glory that is to come. And I think we've got it so good in our day and age, so comfortable, that we are so abundantly blessed. Right now, goodness, we just had a feast for breakfast, and we're sitting in an air-conditioned room, and you've got these little comfy pews that you're sitting in, and some of you, or any of you nodding off yet, like we, we're air-conditioned room, we have it so well in our day and age that we don't long for heaven as we ought to. Now let me say it this way. We don't long for heaven like those in past generations did who dealt with much greater sufferings in day-to-day life. 
much greater hardship than we do. We have it so well. The statement is true. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now because we're so comfortable. But my goodness, is the temptation great to set our focus, our gaze, the eyes of our heart on the here and now as if the here and now is all that there is and as, as if the here and now will be all that there ever is. God says, no, if the eye is bad, the body is bad. If the eye is full of light, the whole body will be full of light. If you get your gaze set eternal, it will guard your heart from the temptation of the love of money. Notice thirdly, verse 24. If you're going to guard your heart from the love of money, you must love God more than anything in this world. To truly love God above and beyond anything and everything that this life can offer you. Jesus says no one can serve two masters. You will either hate the one and love the other or else you'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. God calls us to complete devotion. It's not just a majority of God and a small little portion of the world. It's not just a vast majority of God. If I can get 98% of devotion to God and I only just keep 2% of my love of money, love of this life, love of this world, God is not glorified in that. God, God is not satisfied in that. God calls and demands our complete devotion. You cannot serve God and mammon. You, you cannot serve two masters. You realize the idolatry of Israel? Go back to the Old Testament and study the idolatry of Israel. We've been walking through it on Wednesday nights quite a bit. You realize seldom did they put off the worship of God altogether and turn completely to idols. Often what happened is they continued their worship in the temple and they brought in idols with God Almighty. They, they began worshiping Baal and worshiping false gods with the, the one true living God. And, and let me ask you, how'd that go for them? Was God satisfied with that? Did God say, it's all right as long as you give me the greater devotion. It's okay that you serve Baal and that you serve all these other false gods. No. God demands our, our heart. God demands our complete devotion. The, the Shema recorded in Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And in Hebrew, that implies He's the only one. He is the one true living God. And there is no other. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Not with the majority of your heart and soul and strength. No, He is the one true living God. He demands our complete devotion. We are to love Him to the utmost, above it all, with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength. Imagine if I was just mostly devoted to my wife, nine-tenths devoted to my wife, and nine nights out of ten I was home with her. <laughs> you, you realize that's what Jesus com or God compares it to in the Old Testament. When His people turned away, they committed adultery against Him. He, he, he demands our, as a husband and wife even, our complete devotion. And we have been completely called to Him in covenant with Him. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon would be the God of money, recognized as the God of money in that day. It'd be similar in our modern-day English to saying Uncle Sam. When I say Uncle Sam, you think of what? The government and patriotism. It represents that. 
Mammon would be the deity, the personification of money, and especially the love of money, the God behind it. Okay, he says you cannot love God and money. Your, your life is going to be lived for one or the other, and it's not that you're going to live partially for each. How do you know who your master is? Realize your treasure is your master. Whoever you serve and rules you, either money is ruling you or God is ruling you right now. A couple of questions of examination. First of all, where do you find your identity? Where, where do you find your value and your worth? I can remember in seventh grade going to the computer class and we had a career uh, interest test that you took. And it had all of these like 50 questions that asked, what do you like and what are you best at? and Where do you see yourself and blah, 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 blah. And then it printed out 10 career options for the future. I don't know. Do they still do that? I wonder. Maybe they do. Yeah, they do. Wow. And, and what do you do? Did it, does it still print the money that you make? No, they took that off. Well, in my day and age, or maybe we were just looking it up, I think it actually had the money on it. I know it did, remembering back. It actually had the money that each career path would make. What do you think we determined our career path by? And what do you think the one that had the biggest salary for the year was saying in the class? Ha ha, you bunch of poor people. I'm going to be rich someday. We, 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 we find our identity in the money we make. Even in this room right now in our culture, you look at people and you measure identity by the money that they make. So by the money you make. Do you find your identity primarily first and foremost in money? There's a high probability. There's a definite probability. Mammon is your God. Where do you find your security? Where do you find your safety? What makes you sleep well at night? Is it a matter of what you got in your bank account? Or is it a matter of, I know the one true living God and His Son Jesus Christ who will save me and redeem me and keep me until the very end. But where is your true safety? panic more if your bank account ran out or if you missed a few Sundays of church. <laughs> Third question, where do you find your happiness? What, what truly makes you happy? Is it on Friday when you get your paycheck? Or is it when you're singing a song to the Lord and you're focused upon Him and His love for you, His grace, His mercy? I looked up the biggest lottery that ever was back in 2022, I think. It was $2.04 billion. Let me ask you this question. If you could win that lottery and have $2.04 billion, or if you could see Jesus face to face, what would you choose? What would make you happier? To see your Lord and Savior, or to get the true object of your worship, a mighty dollar? The desire for riches will kill your soul. And it will leave you empty-handed and miserable. The desire for riches will kill your soul and will leave you empty-handed in the end. You must guard your heart from it. I want to close this morning with a, a quote, quote from Erwin Lutzer. He was pastor for a number of years at Moody um, Bible. He wrote these words. He says, Better to love God and die unknown than to love the world and be a hero. Better to be content with poverty than to die a slave to wealth. 
Better to have taken some risks and lost than to have done nothing and succeeded at it. Better to have lost some battles than to have retreated from the war. Better to have failed when serving God than to have succeeded when serving the devil. And then he concludes with these words, What a tragedy to climb the ladder of success only to discover that the ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. I hope you remember a lot from this sermon, but if you don't remember anything else, remember that last picture. A ladder leaning up against a wall, representing the pursuit of your life right now. And the rungs of that ladder that you are striving every day to climb. Right now, you're all on it. We're all on it. We're all taking breaths and breathing, living. You're you're climbing the ladder. I want you to just think in closing before we have a time of invitation and examination. When you get to the top of that ladder, what is it that you're going to climb? Heavenly Father, we come to you. Lord, I pray you would take your word and just convict us with it. Lord, rebuke where rebuke is needed. Correct where correction is needed. Instruct where instruction is needed. Lord, we may be thoroughly equipped unto every good work. Lord, thank You for this time You've given us to examine Your Word. I pray if there be one in here who is wrongly serving mammon, wrongly pursuing wealth, Lord, in their conviction they would repent and they'd turn to You and they would leave here investing in eternity, focusing on eternity, longing for that day. Lord, if there be one in here who doesn't know You as Lord and Savior, done nothing but live for this life. Lord, may they come to understand their need for Christ now. May they repent and believe upon Him as Lord and Savior. Open their eyes to see their heart and believe. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' precious name for His honor and for His glory. Amen.